are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, your pal in the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL, and the show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. I hope you guys enjoyed the Locked On Live NBA draft coverage show. I hope your favorite basketball team got the player you wanted them to get the live show was awesome they had like a real life actual studio and everything's things are growing so much super exciting i also want to shout out the peacock and williamson podcast brian peacock and matt williamson bringing you everything you need to know on the national level of the nfl matt williamson former scout brian peacock uh analyst for lockdown 49ers and elsewhere talking about all of the national headlines and today's second day of training camp so we're going to go over a lot of the training camp stuff including a conversation about some of the things i think the vikings might be experimenting with despite some pretty bad uh results in the past i, I might complain a little bit uh we also have one final storytime series entry to go it is that of Amari Henderson, the cornerback out of Wake Forest, who joins the Vikings for training camp. And then we'll talk a little bit about the plan for the rest of the month of training camp. But first, let's talk about some of the quick news and notes from training camp. So I think the headline has to be that Kirk Cousins had himself a day. He had a couple of awesome throws. He had one to uh, Irv Smith. He had a really cool one to KJ Osborne, who continues to get reps with the first team. The first team right guard position is still... uh, a rotation between Ole Udo and Dakota Dozier. We kind of talked about that. Nothing else has really changed. Michael Pierce got in. It seemed like for a little more action than yesterday. Daniel Hunter played, Bashad Breeland played, and Christian Darasaw still sitting out with that groin injury. They said they'd take him along slow. So no reason to panic there. They knew that was coming. And on that Christian Darasaw thing, I, I've seen a, a number of people kind of starting to freak out about that and starting to be like, oh, no, no, what's going on? Why isn't Christian Darasaw in? That might be surprising to you. Um, but it's not surprising to the Vikings. They knew this, that he had, the, I mean, he had this groin injury. He suffered it back in college. So they took him and got excited about him in spite of this injury, kind of knowing that it would have to start out a little bit slow in camp. I know we're all a little bit snake bitten because of how the Daniel Hunter thing played out, but that's a particularly unique injury. And I'll say it again, because I think, uh, you know, not a lot of people really have caught this, but the uh, herniated disc injury that Daniil Hunter had presents very strangely. It starts out as a mild thing. Daniil Hunter said he thought he slept funny. You just wake up with a crick in your neck one day and you go, ah, I feel kind of sore, kind of weird, but you're not in excruciating injury pain. And, you know, you might tell that and your coach might call it a tweet, which Mike Zimmer has expressed frustration that he gets uh, so, so much heat for that when that's what he was told it was. And then over time, it gets more and more severe to the point where you don't think you can play and then you have to go have surgery. And then the recovery from that surgery is really long. But when it starts, it doesn't hurt very bad. 
other injuries don't play out that way. And I, I see so many people kind of saying, well, how can you possibly say that things are going to be okay with Christian Derrissaw when things clearly were so not okay with Daniil Hunter? And they like freak out about it. And these injuries aren't the same at all. Groin injuries are really, really easy to exacerbate. And so it is wise to be as careful as possible with Christian Derrissaw. It sucks that he's missing you know, valuable install time and the beginning of his camp. I mean, we kind of saw how much that affected Justin Jefferson. He missed the first two weeks of training camp with uh, COVID-19, and then it took him that much longer to kind of get going in the season. So, of course, like, this is kind of rough to to have, and that sucks, uh, but it would suck a lot worse if you rushed him back and, and you know, he, he re-aggravated that groin injury. They're taking it really slow with him. I'd rather, you know, torpedo a few practices and then have him come in. Everybody else coming in at, at somewhat of a, a, a limited rate, and I think when it comes to Derrissaw's injury, I personally am comforted by the fact that the Vikings kind of bought in on Derrissaw knowing about this injury, and they're behaving with a lot of caution. But unless we find out that Christian Derrissaw got in the building and then they found out the groin injury was a lot worse than they thought, like unless there was a moment where the information changed, then I don't really see a cause for concern. Another nugget a couple people reported on that I found a little interesting is that Kane Nwangwu is taking... Uh, reps above Amir Abdullah on the depth chart right now, and everybody says he looks really good. I, I think a lot of it is he just looks fast, and it's going to really show up in shorts and practice, um, because he is just, like, stupid fast, but he uh, appears to be making good reads. He's getting a little praise, and that's an, an interesting thing. I put out a 53-man roster prediction earlier in the week. The article form of that, I teamed up with Nick Olson, uh, and we did an article for zone coverage that I'll put in the show notes, and in that, I put both Abdullah and Nwangwu on on the roster, um, but even then, I put Nwangwu below Amir Abdullah just on the idea that, eh, you know, he's a rookie and he's going to have to take some time to learn the calls and learn the reads and all that stuff, and there's a, a mental aspect to running back that I think people don't quite put enough stock into, but I gave Nwangwu the kick return job. Well, if he can win the kick return job and beat out Amir Abdullah for that third running back job and, and be making the right reads right away, it actually would render Amir Abdullah a lot more redundant than he was in my 53-man prediction and put his roster spot in a little more jeopardy, and that would be really interesting, you know? a Mike Boone that can make reads, that would be pretty awesome to have. One of the highlights of camp that a lot of people mentioned came from Stephen Weatherly against Ole Udo, putting Ole Udo on the ground. It looked like Ole Udo got caught out of position, learning that right guard spot. And this is a big moment for, for Ole Udo, who needs to be able to hold up. I saw another kind of bad rep of his against Sheldon Richardson. I, I don't know if this experiment is quite going as well as we had hoped. Although, I mean, I'm rooting for Ole Udo. I really want him to, to find a, a way to be a, a part of that right guard rotation or, you know, be more than just the backup right tackle for Brian O'Neill, who's been pretty healthy. And then, of course, circling back to Kirk Cousins, who had a whole bunch of really good days, but he, or a whole bunch of really good passes on the day, but he ended the day on a sour note. They put him in a uh, kind of end game situation, like six seconds left, ball in the in the red zone, and he only got two passes off, and the final one was intercepted by Harrison Smith, and it wasn't a very good looking pass. So a rough note, but overall, really good day for Kirk Cousins. Um, but the defense finally gets one on him, and that's the way that these days go. You know, it's always the fun back and forth. Uh, I want to talk about though the uh, I, something else that I. Know notice, which was Wyatt Davis doing a lot of work at center. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But first, I want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. If you are looking for a late night snack, let's say you, you wake up and you're just craving mint chocolate or peanut butter chocolate or coconut, you can go to Built Bar. Built Bar is 
a protein bar covered in 100% chocolate that comes in nine delicious flavors, including the ones I mentioned, cookies and cream, chocolate raspberry, chocolate orange, if you're into that, you can get all of those. And they are low calorie, low carb, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They taste like a candy bar, but you don't have to feel guilty. They won't knock you off the wagon. They're even keto friendly if you're into that too. So head on over to BuiltBar.com. They do have a special like limited time offer flavors as well. So check into the website every once in a while. You might find something. That's the that's where the really special ones are like uh, cookie dough chunk and stuff like that. And at BuiltBar.com, when you enter promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 on your purchase, I personally recommend the sampler, which gives you two of each of their nine flavors. Locked 15, all one word, gets you 15% off of your next order at BuiltBar.com. So there were a couple of videos posted of training camp that I noticed Wyatt Davis working with the ones. As Sean Borman first pointed this out, uh, credit to him, commenting on a clip from an account named Vikes Insider that was posting clips as well, with Wyatt Davis working with the twos at center. Now, he's never played center. He has always been a pure guard, pure right. I think he played some tackle in high school, but that's it. Like, he has always been, uh, he, he's always been purely a guard at, at Ohio State, and he's never played the center position. So it's a little curious that he was playing center. And then he and Kellen Mond went off to the side during a different drill and started working on snaps together and those two things together tell me that there is like a serious and concerted effort to teach the center position to Wyatt Davis that's really interesting because the Vikings have a will go with sorted history of position switching on the offensive line and we'll go over a bunch of examples in a minute here to kind of prove the point but you're not going to be surprised to learn that I'm not a huge fan of this uh here's the thing if Wyatt Davis is just learning center as like an educational exercise, which it can be. Sometimes you just kick a guy out to another position just so he sees what it's like. He sees what the snap is like. He understands the kind of vantage point, And then it makes it easier to work with the center uh, in the future because you know a little bit better, like kind of what they're looking at. Sure. That's fine. I'm not going to complain about that. I'm not going to complain about just give him a little bit of, of reps, you know, snapping just in case there's an emergency and you need Wyatt Davis to come in and snap or something like that. I kind of don't get the vibe that that's what this is. If that's what this is, whatever, you can skip this whole next section and I don't really care. It's just they're just, you know, teaching the kids stuff. But if they're genuinely trying to move him to center in the same way that they moved Ezra Cleveland to guard and they kind of told us, oh, we're just, you know, we're just teaching him. We're just going to, you know, giving it, given it's good to get him the experience over there. And then he played right guard and now he's just a guard. He's just forever a guard because they drafted a left tackle. Uh, if that's the case with Wyatt Davis, I strongly dislike that. I think that is the only possible way you can ruin Wyatt Davis outside of like exacerbating his knee injury or something. And I'm sure that is not going to be met with a lot of resistance because I know a lot of you are also kind of upset about position switching. Here's the thing. Playing different positions is difficult and there are differences in what you need at tackle, at guard, and at center and differences in, you know, left versus right. You have to flip all your footwork, but, you know, tackles need to be a little more deliberate. They need to, they, they get set a little slower um, and their footwork is a little bit more extended. You know, it's multiple steps, which kind of gives you a little more flexibility in terms of how you actually set up. You can find it more comfortable. I think getting out of the stance at tackle versus getting out of the stance at guard, you've just got more options, right? But you need to be able to cover a lot more ground. You need to have a different kind of athleticism. You need a lot of length, um, and you need to have a sense of timing and a sense of, you know, when to throw your hands, when not to throw your hands. It's kind of more of a fencing match 
at, at tackle and an edge rusher where you're kind of throwing techniques at each other and feeling each other out. It's more, um, and you know, and this is over two seconds. It's not like a big long thing, but it's more of, of, a, of a fencing match where at guard and at center, you need to be a lot quicker. You need to be able to kind of get your house built, get in your stance, get in your set, and then beat the guy in a competition of a lot of times just pure strength. You're just kind of getting rid of a bull rush one-on-one, um, and you don't have to deal with quite as much finesse and quite as many fancy tricks. It's A lot of it's more you know, a, a mano-a-mano thing, and it's a much different skill set. And so if you have a guy that has played tackle and he's been a fencer his whole life, and then you move him into guard, which is what the Vikings did with Ezra Cleveland, it's what they did with Mike Remmers, that didn't work either. Um, it's now what they're doing with Oli Udo, returns have been will go with mixed, it's like asking a fencer to win an arm wrestling competition. You're just kind of wasting the the skills that they've spent their whole lives honing and trying to teach them something new on the fly because their arms are like a half inch more suited for this one. And I just don't get it. I just think that it's so weird to get, you know, different offensive linemen and shuffle them all around. And now they're all playing out of position and weird. Untangle it and have guys play the position they freaking know. And moving from guard to center, while I think it's a less extreme difference than from tackle to guard, because a lot of the times, you know, the center and the guard are blocking the same guy anyways. And so they use more similar techniques. Centers need to be uber quick. So it like moving from, uh, you know, tackle to center, like some people have, or like the Ethan Posick thing, but in reverse, like what Seattle did there. Um, the, the difference is incredible because you also have to fit a snap in there and you have to get your house built and get up and get in your stance and ready to accept contact just as quickly. You need to be ready at the same time as the guard is. Otherwise, they'll just attack you if you're not ready yet. But you have to get a snap in there as well. So your hands have to be really quick and everything's got to be quick. And there's the cerebral aspect to center as well of figuring out protections and reading the defense, reading fronts and stuff like that. There's a lot more thought that goes into center versus, you know, guard and tackle. You're just listening to what the center says. So position switching on the offensive line is not something that always fails right? Like there have been times where it works out at Connor Williams. He worked out okay at guard. Um, you know, the Vikings had a couple, but let me just go over a few examples. These are the ones I could remember off the top of my head. I might miss some, but since 2014, since Mike Zimmer took over and a bevy of offensive line coaches, uh, Charlie Johnson, left tackle to left guard. That was a failure. He was terrible there. Brandon Fusco, right guard to left guard. He was a very good right guard, got an extension, moved to left guard, then was awful. Uh, Mike Harris was a right tackle that moved to right guard. That actually worked out really well. And then he had the thing in his leg and his, his career kind of got stopped short, but he actually played really well at right guard. So we'll give him that one. Uh, Pat Elfline, center to left guard to right guard, and he never really got the development that he needed. He was always learning something new, and he always seemed like he was just behind the curve, not to mention the strength issues and, you know, not really being able to to get that down. But his technique was always just bad. It's because he was learning a new technique every freaking offseason. Mike Remmers, right tackle to right guard, absolutely terrible idea. Joe Berger, was a right guard who played center, or maybe it was the other way around. Either way, it was uh, that was a pretty successful one, so we'll give him that one. Uh, TJ Clemmings was a left tackle that moved to right tackle. That was obviously a failure. He was somebody that needed a lot more development. Don't think it was about the position switching, though, so I, I don't need to credit, discredit them too bad for that one. Nick Easton was a center that then played left guard. He, If you remember, he won that job over uh, Alex Boone, so we'll give him that one. And then you have Ezra Cleveland, who went from left tackle to right guard, and I'm calling that a failure because just about every problem Ezra Cleveland had, and he did give up a lot of production, and he wasn't a particularly good right guard. 
and all of his problems were he looked like a tackle playing guard. He looked like he was, you know, not getting out of his stance quickly enough. He wasn't getting his hands set up well enough and his base wasn't quite right and stuff because he was doing like tackle technique against defensive tackles that are just going to bowl through bowl right through that. So in eight attempts, you're three and five and the five have like ruined the guy. And sometimes that guy is Mike Remmers, who was on a big contract or uh, Pat Elfline, who you spent a third round pick on Brandon Fusco, who you had just extended. And now you've got Wyatt Davis, another third round pick, a second round pick in Ezra Cleveland. And you're just ruining guys over and over and over and over again. The Vikings are a meat grinder through which offensive line are linemen are pulverized and and seared and served up to defenses. And I think this is a very big contributing factor to that. So I really hope Wyatt Davis was just doing some snaps on the side for an emergency situation or they're just doing it to kind of train him a little bit more on what centers see so it can help him to understand and, you know, the holistic thing, which is a big deal. And Mike Zimmer does it with the defense all the time. I really hope that it's that and that they aren't going galaxy brain again and deciding that they have this bright idea to teach a kid a position he's never played before for only the hell of it. Because they have Garrett Bradbury. It's not like they need a center. And they have a backup center in Mason Cole that they just spent a six-round pick on. So they don't have a need there. Like, with Ezra Cleveland, at least it was like, well, they kind of need a right guard. They don't really have anybody there. And, you know, Riley Reef is in the way and, and blah, blah, blah. They don't have a right guard. Wyatt Davis is a right guard. Why are they moving him out? I don't know. I hope I'm just reading way too much into something. But either way... I want to switch gears a little bit. We'll talk, we'll talk about the final Storytime Series entry of the season. I'm very excited to uh, put a bow on this thing and talk a little bit about what's going to happen for the rest of training camp. So stick around. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Amari Henderson grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he played football at Mallard Creek High School. Mallard Creek was kind of a blue blood program where a lot of recruiters would always be and where he could get like a lot of attention. And even in his last couple of years, Amari Henderson was like the superstar of Mallard Creek. They won state in both his junior and his senior year. He got defensive MVP awards. Um, I believe he was the state championship MVP, and then he got like other accolades too, just like on the season as a whole. So he was a really, really like sought after player, and he got a number of offers, Kansas State, Mercer, Miami of Ohio, but the only Power 5 offer that he got was from Wake Forest. So easy decision, go to Wake Forest, about an hour uh, north of where he went to high school. So that was easy. Go to Wake Forest. He went there and redshirted for his first year. And then as a redshirt freshman, this goes to 2016, he sort of started the same path that you will kind of hear from a lot of these players and you've heard in a lot of these stories. You redshirt a year, then your redshirt freshman year, you kind of rotate in a little bit. Then sophomore year, you're a starter. Junior year, you know, you're a good starter and, and you're, you're like a, a part of the team. He decides to go back to school. It could have gone out for the draft in uh, 2019, but he goes back for the 2019 season, plays his senior year there and gets enough accolades to get at least a little bit of a look in the 2020 draft. But the 2020 draft was a rough process. And as with every single one of these stories that you've heard before, 2020 kind of threw a wrench in all of the things. So he didn't have a pro day and he didn't have all those other things that players usually use to rise their draft stock. And so he ends up going undrafted and he gets a chance to try to make the Jacksonville Jaguars. That doesn't go so well and he doesn't make the team. He ends up on the practice squad there for like, I don't know, three weeks or something like that a little bit. And then he ends up being released off of Jacksonville's practice squad, where he, for the first time in his life, sits out a season 
of football. Uh, he sits out the 2020 season, and as 2021 rolls around, a lot of players, uh, we talked to Evan Kazarzik, who had this as well, um, got a chance to be a kind of rookie minicamp tryout if they didn't make a team in 2020 because that process was so weird. He actually gets the invite to come to Vikings rookie minicamp alongside Kazarzik and a bunch of other players, but those are the two that got signed, and that was an interesting situation. If you remember uh, because there was still a lot of restriction on the way that that minicamp could go. They could only bring like five actual players to come help round out the drills and stuff like that. So Amari Henderson was one of those guys. He gets the invite to rookie minicamp, and the Vikings like what they see, and so they say they're going to sign him. But in the middle of all of that tragedy struck the Henderson family. Amari Henderson's older brother uh, passed away in an accident, and so he had to go tend to all of that. But apparently, when the Vikings told Amari Henderson that they wanted to sign him, he broke down and he cried. And he told the Vikings what had happened, and hey, I need to go to the funeral, and I won't be able to go to the offseason program. Can I still do it? And the Vikings said, of course. And that kind of brings him to this moment, into this cornerback group where, as we sort of talked about, there is some room at the bottom of the roster if you can kind of prove that you're a better special teamer than Chris Boyd, basically. But this time, unlike last time, uh, there will be preseason games and there will be kind of a chance that Amari Henderson has to kind of prove that medal. No special teams drills made it basically impossible for most undrafted free agents to make the team. And that's why Dan Chisena's thing was so remarkable, because during the 2020 training camps, um, you couldn't really do a lot of the kickoff stuff. You can only do so much uh, drilling kickoff stuff in training camp. You're not doing full speed. You're not doing tackling. You're not doing a lot of that stuff. You don't want somebody to get hurt on a kickoff return drill in practice. So a lot of the people make their teams in the preseason games where you are going full speed. And it's so different, like especially for kickoffs. But of course, you didn't get that chance. So now Amari Henderson will get that chance and punts are, are the same way. And maybe he can find a way to usurp Chris Boyd and find his way, if not onto the roster, maybe, you know, usurp the Perry Nickersons and Dylan Mabins of the world and find his way onto the practice squad. And before I let everybody go for the week, I just want to really quickly say thank you to everybody who listened to all of the Storytime series entries. If you are just stumbling upon the show for the first time and you missed it all, I, I invite you to uh, go back through the episodes of the summer, uh, pick your favorite player who arrived to the Vikings this year or last year and uh, listen to their story because there are some absolutely remarkable things that have gone on here. Everything from, you know, Jordan Scott and all of the weight self-consciousness that he's gone to, to, you know, yesterday we talked about Patrick Peterson overcoming diabetes uh, right after he gets a big contract extension to players like Kanena Wangwu and Turner Bernard, who have taken these usually less celebrated special teams roles and turned them into their identity. Um, I, I always just have to take a moment at the end of the Storytime series and beam with pride a little bit because I love doing this series so much and I love telling these stories so much and for those of you who stuck around and listened to all of it and, and enjoyed all these stories alongside me thank you thank you thank you thank you so much and if you're just showing up you're just finding out about it i encourage you to go on a little bit of a binge this weekend because i have a little bit of traveling to do i am going to be at training camp now for the next two weeks up until the preseason game with the broncos 
which is on August 14th. I will be in Minnesota and I will be out in the sun watching the players, taking notes and bringing you guys everything that I see so I don't have to go by a stuff of what people happen to decide to post on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter at NFL, I will try to live tweet training camp in as much detail as I possibly can. That's always something that I wish we had uh, in training camp was kind of more play-by-play, a more comprehensive look at what happens. So make sure you check that out. And if you aren't interested in a gajillion training camp tweets, you can mute me for a little bit. I don't mind. You can also find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And I want you to check out the Locked On Bets podcast because it's time to get your head wrapped around a grambling again. Lee Sterling and your boy Q have you covered there going over their locks of the week and all kinds of other gambling content that you can find at the Locked On Bets podcast, wherever else you find your favorite shows. I will see you all next week from the great state of Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Can't wait to go home. I will see you then. And as always, skull.